Welcome to the Building Better podcast, where we're going to cover everything you need to know about structural insulated panels. Thank you for joining us for a second episode. Today, we're going to talk about energy efficiency and high-performance enclosures. What's our value? Do I really save money on my electricity? What is a net zero ready home? All of these questions and more are going to be answering here today. If you know little or a lot about SIPs, or even if you don't know anything about it, don't worry. We're here to teach you all and make it simple for you. My name is Gabriel Grossman. I'm your host. And today we have the honor of having another SIP pioneer with us. He has an incredible track record focusing on sustainability in construction, among other expertise, and has served on boards and committees focusing on sustainable building, including the Sustainable Building Industry Council, and is the executive director of the Structural Insulated Panel Association, also known as the SIPA. He is dedicated to educating professionals on sustainable materials in the construction industry. Please welcome Jack Armstrong. How are you, Jack? I am well, thank you. And I'm glad to be like the second one on your inaugural podcast. That's terrific. I appreciate the invitation today. Or Jackson, thanks for the time. So why don't we start with a very like broad question that most of our listeners are interested in is what really is energy efficiency? What really makes a home be energy efficient? You know, that's a great question. And people talk a lot today about, about this and energy efficiency sometimes is uh, nowadays uh, related a little bit to, uh, you know, is it energy efficient? Is it carbon efficient? Is it resource efficient? Uh, is it uh, healthy to live in? All of that uh, is kind of wound in today on, you know, is it comfortable? Is it healthy? So really from the metric of, of insulation and structure goes, an energy efficient home is a home that does it use more energy than it should? And hopefully it's an energy efficient home that is well in advance of whatever the minimum code requirements are for buildings. And uh, so uh, certainly there's what we call, you know, Gabrielle, these model energy codes. And uh, model energy codes were developed kind of in the like early 1970s after the big OPEC oil crisis. And uh, then kind of we started really getting serious about them in, in the middle, say, early 2000s. And so we have what's called this uh, IECC, this uh, energy, um, let's see, IECC, Energy Efficient Code um, uh, document that, that's created every three years. And the Department of Energy certifies this IECC. Right now we're on the IECC 2021 code. Uh, and uh, that's kind of the minimum building legally allowed by law to be constructed. The only thing is uh, individual states and individual cities and municipalities can decide whether they're going to adopt that building code for their jurisdiction or not. And so when you're building and constructing, some towns might be on the 2009 version of the code. Some people might be on the 2012 version, the 2015 Uh but in general, so today's code, the 2020-21 code, probably only about 25% of the states are on that. And it's kind of the, the benchmark, the most energy efficient uh, code, you might say. And I don't expect really that, that codes are going to get much more um, difficult than that. But the good news is that SIPs and structural slated panels can get you to meet that code, whatever code you're on. And uh, so energy efficiency, to go back to your question, is 
uh, hopefully having the smallest energy bill that you can have so you have more money to spend on good, important things. Uh, so hopefully that, that helps a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's very clear. Thank you, Jack. Also, I wanted to talk a little bit of how we measure energy efficiency because there is both the R value, but also something that's very important is the airtightness of the structure, right? So how is this R value and airtightness of a structure measured to result in achieving the compliance of these local codes in the IECC? Exactly. So this energy, uh, International Energy Conservation Code, I finally remembered the acronym. Uh, so they introduced back in 2009 this idea of uh, uh, starting to think about air leakage rates. And so, um, you know, we have what we call R value. So R value is just the resistance to energy flow. So you have, you know, these walls that are hopefully well insulated and uh, you want to resist you know, the cold air from outside coming in, or if you're like in, in the Caribbean where I live and it's hot and sticky outside, like in the south of the U.S. and Florida and Texas, um, you want to make sure your nice cool air doesn't go out. So that R value or that resistance to R value is what we measure. And normally, uh, you know, wood has an R value of like one per inch. So every piece of wood that's one inch in, in, in thickness uh, has an R value one. Uh, Insulations are typically around four inches, so expandable polystyrene foam, um, uh, R value four in, per inch, or things like cellulose, blown in cellulose, which is ground up newspapers or, or fiberglass bat. And uh, so the idea with these codes is uh, you can construct according to the code, uh, you know, fancy things like the U value method. So the U value is just the heat transfer, it's the opposite of the R value. So R value is resistance to heat flow, and U value is the measurement of heat flow. So uh, nowadays, if you look at the new codes, they actually have these really small numbers, like you know, 0 0.025. So it's just the, the inverse of the R value. And uh, so it's still measuring the same thing. And uh, to your point about, well, how do you know? How do you measure? What does it mean? Um, there are a lot of metrics that'll say, wow, you know, how many... Uh, thousand BTUs of energy are used per square foot of your house, or how many kilowatt hours per square meter of your house or building. Uh, then there's also things like, uh, even in the embodied energy, how much, you know, how many tons of carbon are being consumed per year. So, uh, of course, uh, if you're everywhere else in the rest of the world, you're using metric units and you're kind of thinking about kilograms and centimeters and square meters. And then, of course, we have to be different in the United States and make things confusing with imperial units. Uh, so you hear a lot of our references around uh, energy unit per square foot of surface area of the house. But uh, kind of going to your, your other question around meeting code. So the code is prescriptive. And it says, gosh, if you're going to build a house, you can build it this way with a certain, you know, structure, a certain amount of layers of insulation, and you'll get a certain performance. Or you can meet code by what's called a, uh, uh, a calculated method, a, a energy modeling method, or a U-value prescriptive layers wall method. And that's typically where, where SIPs uh, shine. While, while SIPs are in the International Residential Code, the IRC, and have been since about 2009. Uh, the real power of using the code and being the most efficient is to use the, the performance method of the code, where you can do an energy model and you can say, oh wow, I'm gonna put a lot of insulation in my roof and maybe not as much in the walls, 
or maybe I'll put a lot of the roof and a lot on the walls and maybe some under the slab, but I can then buy less expensive windows. So you can kind of optimize, you know, where you're going to save your money. And then there's this thing about air leakage rates, which are new. So how much is the air leaking out of your house? So we, we have this measurement. They call it air changes per hour. And uh, you hire someone to come and do what they call a blower door test. And so typically they close all the doors and windows and they close the, the air vents. And to the front door of the house, they in install a fan and they blow a fixed amount of air into the house. And they try to achieve a certain pressure. They try and pressure it up like when you blow into a balloon. And once you get to that pressure that you want, you see, well, how much air do I have to keep blowing into the house to equal that? And that's what they call this ACH50, air changes per hour at 50 pascals of pressure. And uh, so currently the code says if you're in a warm climate, you don't want your house to leak more than five times the entire volume of the house every hour. And if you're in the cooler climates, kind of the middle of the United States north, uh, you're not allowed legally by law to leak more than three air changes per hour. So people are like, gosh, this seems like a random thing. What, why do we do this? So this, this pressure equals about a 20 mile an hour wind blowing on your house, say 32 or 35 kilometer mile an hour wind. And so every time the wind blows on your house, all the little holes and the nooks and the crannies and the openings, it, it leaks out air. And so that's energy loss. It's also chances for you to have condensation, you know, so you might get water that condenses, you know, get mold and mildew. So it's just bad. In addition to, it's loud. <laughs> and the bugs can come in, and the smoky can come in from the fires, and uh, so that's why you don't want it. Yeah, and just to add to that, most of the air leakage that we see from houses are coming from the basements. Is that right, Jack? The basement and air leaks between what we call thermal bridges between uh, the walls and with the sip. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's right. So, you know, not all houses have basements. Uh, sometimes, though, they're on like a crawl space where there's an open area underneath the house. Uh, some houses are just the slab, the concrete slab, what they call slab on grade, and then they, they build the, the walls and the roof on top of that. But you're exactly right. And so this thermal bridging can come up from, from certainly the slab, but mainly the thermal bridging is... You know, every time you have a two by four or dimensional lumber or light gauge metal steel in the walls, say in traditional construction every 16 inches, or if it's an advanced construction every 24 inches, uh, that's a place where there's no position for insulation. So normally if you build with stud construction, you know, sticks construction, two by four construction, if you add up all of the wood in the walls, it's about 25% of the space in the hollow cavity of the wall is occupied by a piece of wood that only has an R value of one per inch. So that's what we call this thermal bridge or this short circuit. And then in between there, you can usually stuff in the insulation. Uh, SIPs, by uh, example, there's no interior or very few interior supports. So the framing factor is 3% to 5%. So that leaves 95 to you know, 97% of the cavity for nice insulation for energy efficiency. That's you know, at four per inch. So that's why SIPs construction tends to be so much better than, than light dimensionally framed construction. And, and to add to that, when we're talking about R value, a lot of times people are just measuring the R value of a small 
one foot by one foot section and you're not considering all these air leakage and energy loss spaces that at the end that whole section R value could reduce by up to 40 or 15 percent once considered all these thermal breaks. So the R value is really not a good variable to measure the energy efficiency of the home. And that's where the code really comes in and it's important and we talk a lot about what we call the whole wall R value or the opaque value. So you add in you know all the sins and the skeletons of, of the deficiencies of the wall. So it's not just the, the theoretical best part in between where the insulation is. It's really calculating all these thermal bridges and all these leaks and uh, and when you say do testing like we have done at, at the Structural Insulated Panel Association at SIPA with uh, the government labs, whether it's you know Oak Ridge National Labs in Tennessee or the Pacific Northwest Labs up in Washington State, uh, you really understand that the SIP wall produces about two times the resistance value than a traditional wall. So you know a six and a half inch wall easily gets 21, 22. R value if you calculate everything, whereas the the similar stick wall with fiberglass bat is only about eleven, so you're getting almost a hundred percent more insulation in a in a SIP wall than you are in a insulated. And to that point, Jack, how much energy could you save within a SIP home? You know, oftentimes we actually talk about a fifty percent savings, and so uh, uh, compared to traditionally. Uh, older older style homes. So part of it is because of this air leakage. So, you know, when we were talking about air leakage before, before the night, you know, 2006, nobody ever measured this air leakage. So a regular home may have an air leakage rate of 25, you know, maybe if it was built in the last, uh, before 2000, maybe it has an air leakage rate of only about 15. And today's code says, gosh, no more than five, and really in most parts of the country, no more than three. And a SIP wall is such a tight construction, the way we seal it and it's taped, and there's so few joints that you can easily get below one air change per hour, and even to these super high levels, like say the passive house standard, uh, which is 0. Uh, 0. 0.6, 0.6 air changes per hour, which is really, really a nice, tight, quiet, comfortable home. And, and now that we see like more of these codes getting stricter and incentivizing the people to build to a higher energy efficiency, what, what incentives do we see the government giving for this type of construction? This has really been a great couple of years in the incentive category. There have for over 10 years been what we call a suite of tax credits called the, uh, the 25C tax credit the 45L tax credit, and the 179D tax credit. Um, these are references in the IRS code. And uh, the problem is, in former years, sometimes you'd have them, and they'd be authorized for one or two years, and then they'd expire. And then Congress would go back maybe in a year or two and bring them back again. So now what happened with the latest round of incentive, uh, this uh, Inflation Reduction Act that passed a few years ago, uh, there's... 10 years, for the few, next 10 years, these tax credits are going to be in effect. So it really behooves uh, and makes sense for all the builders and the homeowners uh, and the developers to really understand these tax credits. So to give you an example, and first of all, it's a lot of alphabet soup. So feel free to go to our sips.org website and you can go under 
uh, news and events and there's a blog and the blog from May of this year, May 2023, kind of talks about these three tax credits made simple and it gives some links so you can understand how they work. But just at a real high level, the 179D tax credit, it's actually not a credit, it's a deduction and it is actually for uh, multi multifamily and also um, uh, retrofit situations, but you can get up to $5 a square foot as a tax deduction. Uh, probably, I think it starts somewhere around 75 cents a foot, and then based on how, what code you're building to, and also if you're paying prevailing wages and using union labor and things like that, you can go all the way to $5 per square foot. So that's the deduction. But on the tax credit side, uh, there's the 45L new home builder tax credit. And so that one essentially is around if you build an Energy Star home, uh, you can get $2,500 per housing unit uh, as the builder or, or as the homeowner, um, that credit. Or if you build to the highest level standard for the Department of Energy, their zero energy ready home level, uh, you can get up to $5,000. Uh, as a tax credit. So as a builder that's maybe building 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, year, 100 homes a year, uh, you know, $5,000 per home, or even if it's just an Energy Star home at uh, 2500 is still some, some serious money. Uh, so all of those are, are available to people. The Energy Star program is not a difficult program to, to do, and SIPs certainly from the thermal envelope gets you, you know, half of the way there. You still have to use things like Energy Star appliances and windows and that. But, so that's kind of uh, the good days of the money, the free money. And what about the zero energy ready cone program that you mentioned? What is required to achieve that level of efficiency? Yeah, so that's kind of like the gold standard, the premier standard. So uh, in order to do a zero energy home uh, uh, compliance path, you automatically have to build the home as an Energy Star home. So you're going past the Energy Star level, and then you're also uh, having to pass the EPA, in, in, in the Environmental Protection Agency's Indoor Air Quality Plus program to make sure the air is really good quality inside the house. You have the, the uh, mechanical ventilation. And then also you have to design it to where it's, quote unquote, a zero ready home. So in the world of zero energy construction, we use this thing. It's kind of like the miles per gallon for a car. Uh, we call it the HERS score, H-E-R-S, Home Energy Rating Score. And the HERS score is done by a company or a trade association called ResNet. And essentially, uh, it's a zero to 100 score. And 100 means you build to the level of what houses were back in 2006. So that's the index, the code. And, uh, and then if you have a zero energy home, it's zero on the scale. So to kind of give you a sense, uh, the average her score of about 300,000 homes that were tested last year uh, was, I believe, about 55. So you can see that's much better than the way homes were in 2006, about 50% better. And the average SIP home gets you kind of just starting at the beginning around about 40 to 45. And so what that means is you, you've reduced the amount of energy you're using. And so when you go to put on renewable energy, like solar power panels, you only have to make up the difference from that last bit, from say a HERS home of 40 or 45 
down to zero. So it significantly reduces the amount of uh, money you have to spend on solar power. In fact, we always say in the industry, reduce before you produce. So reduce the amount of energy you're going to use in your home through good insulation and windows before you decide to produce your own energy with renewables. So reduce before you produce. Thanks, Jack. And all of this here sounds like a no-brainer, but is there anything like our listeners should consider when designing a energy-efficient, high-performance home? Is there Does it require any additional maintenance because of that tight structure? Like, I, I know that because the structure is so tight, it won't allow humidity to escape the house. So what should uh, our listeners consider when they're designing their high-performance enclosures? Yeah, so, you know, high... In the old days, houses leaked so much that it didn't really matter what you did if they had a roof leak or a pipe leak or a lot of condensation inside because there's so much air moving in and out of the house because it leaks, you know, 15 or 20 times an hour, the volume of the house, it would dry out. So it was kind of a risk-free home. Uh, all high-performance homes, no matter what they're built out of, uh, are, are somewhat uh, homes that have to be... Uh, a little more maintenance, and it's mainly maintenance around the mechanical ventilation systems. So when you when you make the walls tight and the windows tight and the doors tight, uh, you want to make sure that there's good fresh air makeup, so mechanical ventilation, and there's a lot of standards out there for that. Uh, the ASHRAE 90.1 standard and 90.2, and uh, uh, ASHRAE, I think, for air specifically, it's ASHRAE 60. Uh, and uh, these actually say, gosh, you need to have a home uh, energy ventilator or energy, an ERV or an HRV. And these just make sure that you have constant fresh air makeup in the house. Uh, and there's nice calculations when your HVAC uh, uh, contractor comes to look at your house. And you say, hey, uh, run what they call a manual J calculation. And that tells you exactly based on how many rooms, how many people are living in the home, uh, how much fresh air needs to be in the house per person. And typically it's somewhere in the number of, you know, 25 or 30 standard cubic feet per minute per person or per bedroom. And uh, also they want to make sure that you get things, humidity out of the house. So we're constantly breathing. Uh, if you're boiling and cooking, if you're using your washing machine, you're taking showers, there's all this moisture that gets in the house. So you want to make sure you have yeah, great ceiling fans uh, or, or ventilation fans in the bathroom, good ventilation exhaust fans over the kitchen because any combustion product, you know, puts toxins inside the house. So whether you're cooking with gas or uh, microwaving, you know, food too long or maybe popcorn, uh, those are things that you don't want to be breathing in. So uh, the idea of uh, high maintenance, it's not that you have great windows and great doors and great insulation. It's really more about these mechanical systems and you want to make sure that you have the fresh air makeup systems and that your, your vent fans are working in the bathroom. And right now that we're talking about the mechanical systems, I comes to my mind how most holes that are not built with zip panels, they have that uninsulated attic space where they run all their ducting. So all that uninsulated space, it's the hottest space in your home. You're running your ducting through that um, very high temperature space and you're trying to uh, cool down your home, but it's going through that very hot space. So it's 
going to take more energy to cool down that same area. So with the zip cone, the benefit is that you're removing that attic with conditioned space. Now you have additional like higher ceilings, additional space that you can use in your home. That's exactly right, Gabrielle. So, you know, when you think about the, the floor, the walls, and the roof of the house, that's what we call the thermal envelope. And uh, in the old days, people would have a, an attic, and it would be a ventilated attic. And ventilated attics are a bad idea for a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, you have constant air blowing in and out of the roof above the ceiling of your home. So not only does it blow your insulation around if you have the old style insulation and leave uninsulated areas, but the, the bugs get in there, the, the, the termites, uh, the smoke embers if there's a forest fire, and it can just cause a lot of problems. Uh, in the southern environments where if you're near a hurricane zone, uh, it actually allows the, the high winds to blow there, depressure, and actually try to lift off the roof and blow it away. So the main idea is to have what we call a, a totally enclosed thermal envelope. So the, the insulation is in the roof deck and you don't need to have an attic. And if you do want to have an attic, great, but at least already then it's a conditioned attic. So uh, you can use it for storage space, you can use it for spare bedroom, or you can not have it at all. And as you say, have that beautiful open cathedral space so it makes small spaces just feel more open and more enjoyable. Uh, so that's really the idea is never have your mechanical systems in unconditioned space. And most importantly, because all that ductwork, that ductwork eventually leaks. And so if it's going to leak, you want it to leak out that wonderful high dollar uh, expensive air conditioning or heating into your house inside the insulation and not outside to the atmosphere. And so that's uh, part of the way that, that a SIP home, not only is it more comfortable, and quieter, but it's more resilient because you're not having these issues of, you know, bad smells coming in, bugs coming in, depressurization and wanting to lift it off. And that's why sometimes in certain areas you're able to get insulation discounts and things like that for your, uh, for your SIP home, whereas a traditionally built home might not have that. And Jack, what about our, for our listeners that have an existing home that want to make it more energy efficient? What type of methods could they use to bring a, you know, old home to the new energy efficient standards? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, uh, we have an awards program we do every year at SIPA and it's called the building excellence awards program. And, and you can once again, go to the sips.org website and see under the, the building profiles and projects, hundreds over almost probably 900 homes. And you can sort them by, you know, apartment buildings or schools or restaurants, but also under retrofit. And so if you're curious, well, how do people retrofit? Uh, so sometimes it's as easy as you're, you're re-roofing. Uh, sometimes if you're going to add on to an existing home, you just add on with SIPs. But also there are uh, methodologies where instead of using an entire SIP, you can use what we call a nail-based panel or retrofit insulation panel, where it's a one-sided SIP. And you can actually just enclose the roof and the walls of the existing home with the uh, one-sided SIP or a nail-based panel and, uh, and, and then add insulation that way. Um, many times on older homes, especially if they're timber frame homes and things like that, uh, you just take off the old roof decking and you put SIP roof panels on, on the top and you unventilate the attic and that's a really great retrofit scenario 
because the largest surface area you know of your home is really the roof and so having great insulation in your roof and the strength and the quietness is really a, a less expensive strategy than maybe having to do the walls and the windows well thank you jack that's been very informative and thank you for sharing all your all your knowledge with us it's very helpful and i just will i don't know if you have some last words um sure what i would encourage people to do um you know the structural inflated panel association sipa has been around for gosh since 1990 so uh soon uh 30 years or or so uh or what even more 35 and um So go to sips.org, S-I-P-S.org. Uh, there's videos there. There are training mo uh, manuals there. There are best practices there. Or you can go to our YouTube channel, uh, Structural Slated Panel Association uh, YouTube channel, and you can see nice little video clips. Uh, we also have what's called our um, Building Education with Sips training program. We call it the BEST training program, B-E-S-T. Building Education with SIPS Training. And it kind of breaks down the steps one by one, and you can have an introduction, you can understand how to do, you know, uh, the design, the installation, the HVAC, the plumbing, the electrical. So all of that is really great, and it helps to uh, educate yourself and make you feel more comfortable about it. And uh, there's even one that's called Objections to SIPs. What are the 14 reasons why people say they don't want to build out the SIPs? And believe us, we've heard them all. And so we have a nice little uh, objections uh, section where you can hear all of the objections. You can look at them also on Instagram or Facebook uh, on, the, on the, SIP, uh, the SIP page there. So, uh, But better yet, great resources like yourself. SIPA members like Preflex and the other 20 members that we have in our organization that make over 80% of all the structural insulated panels in North America and have been doing it ethically and professionally and safely with high quality for, for many decades. So your best resource is someone like Gabrielle at Preflex, uh, really understanding uh, all their great experience over the years. Thank you, Jack. Well, we couldn't have done it with your great marketing and That's how we first came aware about the SIPs and the importance about constructing to high performance. So we really appreciate all your hard work and we will be for sure joining all of the SIPA meetings for the upcoming years and answering any questions our clients might have. Well, terrific. My pleasure. Anytime, Gabrielle, uh, feel free to invite us back and, and we'll help educate some more. Appreciate it, Jack. And This concludes today's episode of Building Better. Please go follow us on Instagram at Preflect Buildings, where you can ask questions, interact with us, and see what we're up to every day here at Preflex. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next month with a whole new episode of Building Better. I'm Gabriel Grossman. I'll see you next time.